is the Homestead Education Podcast, where we talk all things homesteading, and we want to share our passion and experience for this lifestyle with you. This episode of the podcast is proudly sponsored by Manapro Homestead. Animals are an important part of our lives. That's why we help them grow and thrive, treating them as well as they treat us to make their lives as best as they can be. Manapro, nurturing life. Visit manapro.com and follow us at Manapro Homestead. Hello, everyone. Welcome to this episode of the Homestead Education Podcast. I'm Angela, and I'm here with my amazing co-host, Mandy. Um, In our earlier episode, we talked about seed starting, and we got into the nitty-gritty all about seeds and what you need to know to get going. We thought today we would kind of follow up with a topic that I think is going to hopefully be helpful for new gardeners, new homesteaders. What do you do if you're starting your first garden? So we're going to be talking about starting a homestead garden today. And we'll go over a number of factors that you need to keep in consideration. The reason that this episode may be a little bit more broad and less specific than yesterday is because Mandy and I can't tell you how much food to grow. We can't tell you exactly where on your property to set your garden, although we can give some advice. And we can't tell you how big of a garden space you need. But we can tell you some factors that you can keep in mind to help set you up for success so that you're not feeling like you wasted your time and restarting a new garden space after the first season. Hey, Mandy. Hi, how are you? Good, how are you? So good. I agree. I think that this episode today is going to be maybe, like you said, a little bit more broad, but I think very helpful because it can be so overwhelming when you, specifically if you're starting um, a new garden, maybe you've lived in the same place for however many years, but you're you're just starting out in a garden and or you just moved to a new property and you look at your plot of land as a whole and you're like, holy moly. Where is the best place for me to set this up? So there are a lot of things that I think we'll cover that, um, sure, you might think about it, um, but it might be a fleeting thought. Um, And so for us who have maybe been doing it for a little bit longer, it might be things that we wish that we would have done. Um, And hopefully it it will help kind of from the get-go. So I think the the first thing, uh, the most probably important thing for a number of factors is location of your garden. So not just location in the um, idea of sun, water exposure, and we'll kind of dive into that a little bit deeper, but how far away is this from your home? Um, You know, access to, you know, accessibility, um, the ease of getting down there to harvest, you know, up a hill, down a hill, um, those types of things. You have to consider, Uh, All of that, are you toting a kid around? Um, Are you, you know, are you physically actually able for whatever reason to walk, you know, however many yards to your garden? So those things, um, I mean, that's number one, when you agree. Definitely. I think um, proximity to your home, realistically, how easily can you get to it if you just want to run out for a quick harvest, grab a few ingredients for dinner in the rain? Um, I have done that plenty of times. But then we also need to think about proximity to water. If you are not installing a new water line, water spigot, how are you going to get water 
to your garden. And so your, your sort of point zero, your source point is going to be your water spigot. Um, it's a luxury, I think, to be able to dig trenches and install irrigation. We all don't have the time or necessarily the budget to do something like that. Um, so if you are able to work with what you have, keep water in mind because you're going to be hooking up hoses. Um, you don't want to be watering a whole garden realistically by hand, going back to the spigot with a watering can and going back. It just doesn't make a lot of sense. Um, but the other thing we need to consider with regard to water is drainage. If your garden is in a floodplain, water is going to sit. Crops do not like to have their feet wet. They don't like wet roots. There needs to be drainage. A hillside can work fine. Raised beds can help with that. Um, but no standing water is key. We don't want to set our garden up only to have our raised bed woodwork rot algae forming and that nothing can grow because quite frankly the nutrients is just getting all washed away yeah and i think that this kind of ties into the whole big picture here and we touched on it in a previous episode in kind of letting the seasons play out a little bit so we're all so eager i get it um i think that i'm the most eager person sometimes and i jump ahead maybe a little bit when i shouldn't but and uh, there is beauty um, in kind of just letting the seasons play out and see what you are actually working with. It will help you in the long run. So, I mean, specifically what Angela was saying with drainage, go through your rainy season, go through your spring thaw. If you are somewhere where you get heavy snowfall um, and then it melts, you know, all at once kind of in the spring, see what that looks like for you um, and, you know, specific where you want to put your garden and, and then, and then go, um, you know, it, it's going to be very helpful in the long run. You know, it's interesting. Um, when I moved to the farm that I'm at now, the garden was already installed. It had a fence in place, um, a lot of beds. That was great. But I found the spot on the property, what we have now is the lower pasture, but it's like healthy, rich soil where, where cattle used to graze. I mean, the soil is a dream and it's perfectly flat, full sun. And I'm like, oh my God, the garden is going there. No, 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 no. Cause guess what? It floods yeah. all the time. If I had just went ahead and jumped the gun, my garden would have been washed away like sevenfold by now. So thank God I just sort of sat and worked with what I had for a minute. Um, if nothing else, grow in containers. If you're anxious to get started, grow in some pots. You can always transplant them out later. Yep. But I think we also need to touch on sun because one common question is how much sun do crops really need. Um, I think you need to first ask yourself, what are you trying to grow? Uh, more sun is always better. It gives you just the flexibility to work with tomatoes, corn, and other full sun loving crops. But there are lots of vegetables and fruits that you can grow that really are happiest in part sun, which means they get four to six hours a day. They can happily uh, grow in filtered sunlight. So if you've got trees, but the sun makes it through, that's great for greens. Um, even some brassicas do really well in those locations. So if you have a garden space you have in mind, but it's only partially full sun, that works. You can just grow your, your you know, partial sun loving crops in that region. Really though, full sun, it's six or more hours a day of daylight, right? 
Yeah, absolutely. And I think that what's important to kind of touch there is there are also, um, there are things that we can do as humans to intervene um, to, I guess, make shade, if you will. So you can't, you can't make more sunshine, um, but you can, if for some reason you planted something and you see that, hey, maybe it doesn't actually need this much sun or it's really hot today, or it's going to be, you know, a stretch of pretty hot weather, you can put up some sunshades or something like that and kind of, you know, an umbrella, whatever it is, get creative. But I think it's important. Um, yes. So most, most of the things that we are going to be growing when you talk about just, you know, new gardeners or, or seasoned gardeners, a lot or a vast majority of our foods that we're growing are going to be heat loving most of them. Um, or those they're the ones that are going to want that, you know, you know, the tomatoes and those types of things that a lot of people are just kind of starting out with peppers. They, they want the sun, they want the heat. Um, so keep, keep that in mind. And again, it's again, beauty, beauty and waiting and seeing where the sun hits and, um, you know, with your tree, tree cover and shade and whatnot. So, so I think the next thing, after you sort of determined your location, where you're going to put your garden space and you know that it's getting the amount of sun that you need, the next thing a plant needs to grow, we already touched on water, it needs soil. So you need a good amount of sun, water, and soil in order to create healthy crops. Um, soil, this 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 piece can be a little bit overwhelming and confusing for some folks because we see a lot of those um, agricultural-influenced gardens where they're in the ground, long rows of monocrops, and they're gorgeous. You know, you go, you walk through and you just harvest from a long line of lettuce or a long line of tomatoes that are trellised. But then for some people, they think, well, no, I want a raised bed. I'm looking more for a box shape or a trough style garden. So how do you know which one to create? What's going to work best for you? And the answer lies in your soil that you already have. If you have uh, the garden of your dreams, is going to be one of those in-ground agricultural style plots. Take a look at the soil that you are, you have chosen in that location. You may not be able to do that if you're working with serious sand, serious clay, without adding a lot of amendments and really working on creating soil and good growing material. You absolutely can do it. You just have some work ahead of yourself. If you're in a situation where you're growing on clay, slate, um, that's where a raised bed is really going to be sort of more instant gratify, instant gratification. So my garden's on a hillside. It's super like just clay. It's chalky. It's rocky. Raised beds are perfect because I can create a level growing space. I can build the raised bed into the hill. And then in addition, I'm just bringing in fresh soil and I'm bringing in all that rich organic matter from the compost heap and creating a good growing environment without having to really interact with the soil that's already in place. Um, you grow in both, don't you, Mandy? Yes. Um, and I'm happy that you asked. And, and there are some major differences. We actually have, and, and when I say that, um, it's personal, I guess, to me. And, and I think that it's it's personal in just like the work that goes into it. Um, we sit on old farmland, um, long, long time farmland. They used to run cattle here. So our soil at baseline is really good. 
Um, and I don't have to amend the actual, you know, in-ground plot very much at all. Uh, I do find that, or in general, I think that most people would agree it does in my opinion, when we're doing just kind of like the more smaller scale, don't have like the very large equipment, those types of things. When, when you reference like those very big plots where you see just like acres of lettuce and it's beautiful and it's incredible. Um, but those, you know, those folks have machinery and, and things like that, that we don't have. And I have found over the years that while plants do grow very well and, you know, an in-ground plot, it, it requires a lot more, um, human interaction with those plants and the weeds and things like that. It's a little bit more physical and laborious. Um, so we are kind of transitioning out of that. Um, it's just, in my opinion, easier um, to garden in a raised bed. You can change it up a lot quicker than um, trying to change something that's kind of been established. You know, your soil is alive um, and it's been establishing forever. So when you try to alter that, that can take a little bit longer than, you know, versus starting out with kind of a blank slate. You raise a really good point about machinery. I think that that is absolutely something that somebody should keep in mind when starting a garden. How hands-on versus how machine-oriented mm -hmm. do you want to be, both now and in the long run? Yeah. Um, I have a pumpkin patch that I create from scratch every year by piling up the horse manure. And that is my opportunity to use my horses to help me plow. Because I have a raised bed garden, there's no way I can get a Clydesdale and a drag through there. But I can absolutely, you know, make my dreams come true of plowing with a horse by creating a pumpkin patch. So it can be a little bit of both. It doesn't necessarily have to be one or the other. The other thing you can do is grow in pots. And Mandy and I plan to talk about this later in much more detail, container gardening, small space gardening. But you don't have to create raised beds if you're not ready. You don't have to grow right in the ground. More power to you if you want to have an amazing European style terracotta pot garden like you see in France or in Italy where the house is surrounded by pots of varying sizes and they've got trees and they've got bushes growing out of these terracotta containers. It's, it's totally feasible. You can do it. Water requirements change a little bit. Um, but again, that is another option for a gardener. So now that we've sort of established your space and what you need in terms of soil, water, and sunlight, don't go through all this work if you're not going to protect it because yeah. Deer, rabbits, they love the food that you grow just as much as we do. So you do need to consider pest deterrence. What do you use at your farm? Oh, we have the dogs, right? But yes. you no, know, a physical fence. Um, mm -hmm. And I know for a lot of folks when we have this dream garden, and trust me, I get it. And there are ways that you can make it beautiful, I promise. Um <laughs> You know, you don't, it's, it's, there is something to be said about looking out into a, like an open space and not seeing, you know, fence lines everywhere. Uh, but trust me, when you're investing this much, I'm not even talking money, you all, it's time. It's not really the dollars that you put into it. I mean, it is, but you spend so much time babying these plants and physical, actual labor out there. Um, the, the best, thing and the easiest thing in my opinion is 
is a fence if you're able. Um, and there are so many other things that you can get creative with. Some people have like automatic sprinklers and it scares things off. Some people, I literally have seen folks um, go when like those Halloween thingies, like the, uh, the scary thing <laughs> that, at, they go on sale after Halloween. So, I mean, you know, now in the fall time is where you can get those and you, they scare things. They're motion detect um, and you can do motion detect lights. Um, but all of those things might not be feasible. You also might not want like a scary clown in your garden. And I get that. Um, but it just raises a, a point of protection with that also in just kind of talking about fencing. I'm going to circle back to just a put it in, in your mind with fencing and machinery. So if you are fencing things in your building gates, please make sure that you make them wide enough because the, the worst thing is, is to have to, to, to redo those. Um, so keep that in mind as well. And walkways. Consider walkways within the fenced-in area between your beds. You're going to need space for any of that machinery. You'll need space for wheelbarrows if you want to be able to bring a wagon through. Um, so that's another sort of infrastructure piece that sometimes gets forgotten, but is pivotal to making a functional space. Um, going back to fencing, I think it's important to consider wildlife, um, but it's also important to consider domestic pets or livestock. So I'll tell you what we do here at our homestead. We have a gopher fence. When we moved in, we didn't have the guardian dogs yet. So we had an infestation of gophers. So now we essentially set it up like we do for our predator-proof duck run, right? We dig down with a hardware cloth and bring it out away from the garden at a 90-degree angle. Um, so that keeps anything from digging. Then we have the wooden fence that goes around the garden that's lined with um, deer fencing, which is just sort of that... Um, it kind of looks like hardware cloth, but it's usually like more of a plastic type of fabric um, and it's black. So it's not really a visual obstruction by any means. And that runs around the entire perimeter. In addition, um, my fence runs probably eight to nine feet high. Um, that's just because the wooden fence structure that was in place was already at that height. I mentioned how we deter gophers from digging in the garden, but if you have chickens, folks, you need a high fence because that's something where they're going to jump that fence. That is like, I'm not a chicken person. I don't keep chickens. I have ducks, but I always hear frustrations that chicken owners have with them jumping their fences and getting into the garden. You had that, didn't you, Mandy? Yes, absolutely. Um, and this is uh, the main reason, if not the sole reason, that we started to transition to other poultry, to transition to ducks. Um, and we won't necessarily get into that in too much detail, but it is so much work to then have it lost to something that's kind of, you know, out of your control, but a little bit in your control. And I tell you, it's, it's very frustrating. And when you think about the big picture of why you're starting this garden or why you even started this homesteading journey in the be you know, in the first place, um, for you, it's for your family. It's, it's for many, you know, many reasons that truthfully, you know, dig deep and, and mean a lot. And when you put all this work in and then, um, those types of things happen, it can be very defeating. So yes, we, um, yes, had chickens and they would fly over, um, 
sure you can clip their wings, but our fence was not, um, is it wasn't tall. It's only four feet and they can get over. And we would have all of those beautiful ripe heirloom tomatoes just destroyed right at the peak <sighs> and right before harvest. And, um, I, I spent some days out there just almost crying because it's, it's very defeating. So, I mean, brings up a good point and all things to consider. And it does sound like we are throwing a lot at you. Um, but that's why I think we stress, you know, taking it slow and we keep saying is the beauty and trying to, you know, figuring it out and taking it season by season because you want to do it right if you're going to do it. Um, and that's just, yeah, that's, that's the main point here. I don't know about you, but I think one of the most common questions that I get from new gardeners is how much do I plant and how much space should I allocate to my garden? And I, I mentioned this in the beginning of this episode, Mandy and I can't really answer that with sort of a concrete reply. What we can say is, okay, look at your grocery list. How much of that grocery list when it comes to produce, are you wanting to grow and how much are you wanting to dedicate to growing food to preserve? So when you sort of look at your grocery list and you say, okay, well, I, I go through you know, five onions a week, let's say. Okay. So if you want to grow all of your own onions, multiply that by 52 weeks, and that will tell you how many onions to grow. Um, I always say the grocery list is a good place to start. That being said, there is a lot to be said for getting overwhelmed as a beginning gardener. I mean, we've had this entire conversation just about setting up your garden, let alone seed starting, maintenance, planting, pest control. So start small. There's no reason to dive in. Um, Homesteading is a journey. You absolutely start with just a few crops. I did. I'm sure Mandy did the same. And then continue adding over time. I've seen a lot of people, seasoned gardeners, when they move to a new property, they set up their garden space with the end goal in mind, but they only add a small percentage the first year when they move into that property because it is a journey and it is overwhelming and it is hard work. So there keep, just keep yourself sane. Don't drive yourself crazy with getting it all done at once. Start small. That's how much to grow, right? Yeah. Absolutely. You're right. I mean, we can't, we can't, it it takes into consideration. You need to take into consideration, you know, the size of your family and you brought up a very easy, just math, math equation there. And also, um, depending on your size and your space, uh, it might not be feasible right off the bat or even ever to kind of replace, you know, your entire grocery list. But, uh, I would say, look at the things that, like you said, that you use the most, maybe look at the things that are, uh, the most expensive to source somewhere else. Um, if we're talking about a way to kind of cut back on, um, some money and your budget, and um, you can also and should also take into consideration the amount of space it when you need to plant these crops, um, the amount of space that they take up in the garden. Uh, so certain things, you know, take up more space and it might not be feasible to, for you to completely replace that with what you would be sourcing elsewhere at the stores. Um, but maybe you can do half of that and half of something else. So it's it's all just it's all just figuring it out. And, um, and things change. Yes. I was going to say the same thing. Your growing goals, they change. Mine have changed like four or five times at this exact property. 
Yes. Um, and I, I agree. We have different, different goals. I mean, we're sitting here in, you know, fall heading into winter and we'll be planning the, the spring garden. And, um, our goals are different this year than they, or next for next year than they were this year. And it's just kind of a very evolving, um, piece of this whole puzzle. So if you have a small plot of land currently, maybe you're in an urban environment, you're in a neighborhood and you want to start a garden, but you're just feeling a little bit defeated. It's not as large as you want it to be. Well, here's a couple suggestions. One, learn how to grow upwards and not outwards. We think of agriculture as a long horizontal field of crops. It doesn't have to be. You can utilize trellises, window boxes. You can hang things off of fences. I've seen people grow in shoe organization hanging racks. Um, You can get very creative and you can grow a lot of food in a very small space. Containers, we talked about pots, those come into play. Um, You absolutely can work with a small garden. Look into square foot gardening, which is a method that there are thousands of books and resources out there on that topic. Um, Size, yes, it's important, but how much food production is not necessarily a direct reflection or correlation to the size plot that you have, because you can learn about companion planting. You can learn about crop rotations, succession planting. Um, So if you feel like right now you're not in your dream homestead space, don't feel defeated. There's lots of options and lots of ways that you can grow a lot of food. I promise you just in a couple of raised beds or a couple of containers. Yeah. I mean, you bring up a very good point to kind of drive home. Um, The amount of space or even the amount of plants that you plant does not directly correlate with the amount of harvest that you're going to obtain. There are a lot of other factors that will play into it. And so I think um, driving home the message of, you know, figuring out the best location and everything that we've kind of touched on and starting small and only growing X amount and getting really good and knowing how those crops or that specific variety or what have you is, is going to respond um, in your climate, in your garden, and then expanding after that, because that's the real ticket. You know, it's not about how many tomatoes you, you harvested if they're mediocre or they, you know, they, they grew, but they, they actually didn't grow to fruition. It's, it's what you can bring to the table. Um, and so that's a really good point, Ange. Yeah. It's also, it's quality, right? Quality over quantity and, um, what you can manage time-wise. It's Mm -hmm. a lot of labor. Mandy mentioned that before. Gardening is a lot of work. This is not this is not like just a come and go sort of a hobby uh, for the most part if you're serious about food production. Yep. Um, if you're serious about self-sufficiency when it comes to growing even just one or two crops, there's going to be a time demand there. And most of us love it and we're addicted to it. And that's why we end up with these massive garden spaces and huge harvests because we are in it to win it. Like we are all about this life. But... Um, don't plant 60 tomato plants if you can't get out there and prune as needed, get rid of blight leaves, you know, like just start small, start yep. small and add much easier Absolutely. than overplanting and subtracting. And it's all great. Right. I mean, right. cheers to you for having two raised beds or 200. Um, mm-hmm. It is all just, uh, just an incredible journey. And um, it's the start of something that I think we both believe is a, a lifelong um, 
dedication to just kind of bettering everything. Um, totally. Yeah. Anyone can grow. Doesn't matter who you are, how much money you make, what you look like. Anyone can grow. Get your hands in the dirt. Plants are meant to germinate. They're meant to grow. You're just basically there to be their guide. Yep. So de-stress. It's supposed to be fun. It's supposed to be rewarding. We got you. Yeah. So I think that this has been incredible. If you have any questions after listening to this, you you absolutely know where to find us. And we are happy, if you can't tell, to talk anything about gardening and planting with you all anytime. Thank you so much for tuning in to this episode of the Homestead Education Podcast. Any relevant material will be put in the show notes. We hope you'll share our episodes and also click that subscribe button. For more information about this podcast, you can visit us on Instagram at Homestead Education Podcast. Angela can be found online at axeandroothomestead.com and on Instagram at axeandroothomestead. Mandy can also be found online at thefarmermandy.com and on Instagram at Wild Oak Farms. We'll see you next time.